You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show. It's been a big December for us so far. Uh, you're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, editor and editor-at-large Errol Parker. We've just wrapped up a mini tour of the big cities in Australia with the book launch of How Goods Australia. So we were down there in Opera House in Sydney, did a couple of nights there. The Outpost. The Outpost. In Brisbane. In Brisbane, the top part of the, the new festival hall up there, Fortitude Hall, they call mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it really is Brisbane's answer to Mona. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Scott Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, for building that one and the Powderfinger guys. And of course, we did a Alex Theatre in uh, Melbourne with Luke Bracey as the host, Hollywood star Luke Bracey. And that was a bit of fun. And then we went out all night and discovered this Melbourne institution called Revolver, uh, which was uh, interesting. As journalists, I wouldn't mind getting yep. back in there with a camera um, <laughs> because it is yeah. a zoo. I think, it's, I think the rules are the same as uh, in Berghain, where mm. I, I've just been. I don't think you'll be ever allowed to film in there because what goes on in there is is illegal i was i was offered the use of the urinal or the use of someone's key i don't know why he had his keys out in the toilet but um i said i'm just in here to take a shit could you get out of the cubicle please yeah it really is a city that never sleeps melbourne they impressed us um for a bunch of latent racist hipsters they've uh, they've done quite well now today we're back in the diamantina it's a balmy 48 degrees outside and uh, we're actually uh, lucky in this part of the world that we're one of the few kind of uh, rural regions in Australia that aren't currently being ravaged by bushfires that were caused by the Greens uh, who refuse to do backburning because they have such control of yeah. the local councils in rural areas. It might be a bit of a coincidence, but under Joe, we basically took out every tree in, in the Diamantina Shire and now we haven't got bushfires. Mm. We're down there, you know, in you know the socialist progressive caliphate of Western Sydney. You've got bushfires from the great town of Lithgow all the way out to the seaside at Gosford. Yeah, and uh, of course, Port Macquarie, Coffs Harbour, very prominent greens hotspots as well, have um, been uh, struggling due to uh, bushfires that were aided by... Uh, the Australian Grants Party. Anyway, Joe, Sir Joe did help us a lot. He did a lot of great things for Queensland. He was quite entrepreneurial with his land clearing efforts. Today, actually, on that note of entrepreneurialism and um, just going out and having a go, we uh, are joined by, uh, I guess you could say, a pioneer of modern Australian swimwear, mm-hmm. Adam yep. Linthorpe, founder of many things, but uh, most notably Budgie Smuggler. And also, Adam's going to tell us a little bit about AIM, uh, the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience, which is uh, a volunteer network and mentorship program that Adam's help set up. It's headquartered uh, down there in, in Redfern, down there in Sydney. And Adam's going to tell us a bit about that, as well as how he built Budgie Smuggler up from the ground. This podcast is going to be a bit different this week. We're going to do a bit of a deep dive on Adam's business, on where he's found success, about where he hasn't found success, and the lessons he's learnt along the way about, you know, what makes it a uniquely Australian company. How are you, mate? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm doing well. It's good to be here. Now, we've known about uh, Budgie Smuggler for a few years now. We, Errol and I have actually flown to Sydney. You've flown us to Sydney to uh, MC the 
most ordinary rig competition. That's right. Which was first one. Uh, what year was it first held? 2015, 16? 2016, yeah. 2016 was won by a good man, Isa Boy, and Dingo Dan. He And he got a billboard. That was the prize. Uh, in Mount Isa. In yeah. Mount Isa. Which I guess from a business perspective was good for you. <laughs> as opposed to, you know, a bloke from uh, the F1 who would have won, you know, up on the Central Coast. That would have been a bit dearer, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it cost about... 800 bucks and no one replaced it for like six months <laughs> and the in-store was like 500 so <laughs> yeah the rates in Mount Isa are, are, are good now Lenny we want to talk to you about uh the the story of Budgie Smuggler and how it came to be you've been working non-stop you've got a bit of a crew in here um Jared uh also known as the Tinder fellas sitting to my left and of course BJ Hartman the former next captain of the Waratahs. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. He's sitting He's sitting here as well. But uh, Lenny, basically since, well, not day one, but as its current carnation, you have been on the ground the whole time for Budgie Smuggler. Yeah, it's been about 11 years since um, I sort of took, took the reins. Initially when I took over, I thought the hardest thing about um, running a, a new business and, and budgie smuggler would be cashing all the checks and backing up for the fashion parties mm -hmm. 12 years later and i'm yet to be invited to a single fashion party but uh, if anyone has any offers out there i'm <laughs> often available but yeah no it's been a been an interesting evolution i guess if you remember back then it was a kind of time when board shorts were, were well and truly past the knees oh yeah mm. um, the shin swingers <laughs> that's yeah. it the non-European style. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. The curtains of shame. The chafe. The chafe-inducing <laughs> SMP boardies. <laughs> we know the types. Uh, now, you didn't actually come up with the idea, though. You you pretty much were just thrown the hospital pass of a <laughs> yeah. formulated of, business. Of a loss-making hobby. Because <laughs> <laughs> loss-making hobby. Unless you know the man, you know, this is basically a, a nocturnal invention of... Kevin Rudd's former advisor of media, uh, Lachlan Harris. How did you come to meet Lachlan? Uh, because, you know, he is quite a mysterious bloke, if I should say so myself. Was this, was this circa <laughs> And even late? more mysterious uh, that he's, A, working for Kevin Rudd, and B, trying to sell swimwear and belts on the side. How did you end up coming to know Lachlan? Um... Well, initially how I found out about Budgie Smuggler, I didn't know I didn't know Lachlan actually until after I'd taken over Budgie. So how I came to know Budgie Smuggler was I was studying in the States and I had to renew my visa and they don't let you do it in Canada or Mexico or a contiguous body. So I went into an SDA, looked at a map, and the closest country was Guatemala. Right. So I said, okay, well... I'll fly there and catch a bus back to Arizona where I was living. And so I thought that would take three or four days based on my rough geography and comparing Mexico to the size of Australia. It took me six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, along the way, I saw two guys um, wearing like fluoro sort of smugglers mm. with budgie smuggler written on the back. And I thought, oh, fuck, that's pretty funny. And couldn't believe someone sort of hadn't done it before. And then when I got back to Sydney hit up Budgie Smuggler, and I actually knew the guy who was helping Lockie to, helping to run it for Lockie. Um, and I'm just like, mate, if you need a hand with anything, 
I'm around. And Lockie's vision for the brand at that point was basically just getting loose in them. And he'd set like a bunch of 12 blokes in cargo bar mm-hmm. wearing nothing with a bar tab. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's how it began for me. And then um, when he won, <laughs> like from the very uh, like Stephen Bradbury kind of position, you think Kevin Rudd's a long, long odds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wound up being press secretary for, yeah, Kevin Rudd and the prime minister. Yeah. And potentially having a company with a bunch of loose units running around in yeah. next to nothing was going to be a, a liability. A bit of a conflict of interest, <laughs> I'd say, with, with Kevin Rudd. So what were you studying at university in Arizona? Was it something r- was, related to running a swimwear business? No, I was doing history in Spanish. Ah, yes. Um, and then I did... The pillars of business. That's <laughs> it. And I, I did an arts commerce degree at Sydney Uni. And got me a job as a graduate at ANZ Bank, but I was not working in the uh, the kind of high end suits area. I was at the 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 branch in Brookvale. Oh yeah, where like yeah, every, everyone was dressed by Lowe's. I was the GFC at this yeah. time as well. It's two thousand and eight. Yeah. It's a great at- time to start a career in finance. <laughs> Your was- loan for a jet ski has been denied, <laughs> sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> It wasn't too bad, actually. <laughs> well, you were in the Zali Stegel, a very affluent electorate too. So, so if anyone's going to be kind of yeah. hit by the GFC, it's probably they're probably a bit safer in that yeah. part of the world. Or? Yeah, maybe. But they were firing people at a great rate of knots. Like you know, you'd mm. come in and you'd be like, "Where's Kevin?" <laughs> it's like Kevin's no longer with, with the us. bank. And I'm like, started hearing that a lot. And in the city, there was whole floors getting fired. And I think it prompted in me, I thought, used to think that working for a bank or a big company was a really safe option. And then when you see whole floors of people getting sacked, you're like, oh, my God, this is actually the least mm. safe option for me. Plus, I fucking hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I just used to sit out the window all day going, "There, fuck me, there is better things I can be doing with my life. And I sucked as well. Yeah. Like, I was giving almost zero fucks. I, I so really you were just are. basically the when they needed someone to speak Spanish, they'd bring you. Those, <laughs> yeah, small of. small market. I had a good boss. The setup of the company and stuff was great, but just the tedious shit you have to go through was just killing me. And so I was looking for for something else to do, some other options. And around that time, two things happened. One was the opportunity to take over Budgie Smuggler, and another one was I started as the finance director inverted commas for an Aboriginal um, non-profit called AIM, the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. But there was like two staff there at this stage. So, the, you know, it wasn't really, yeah. a, wasn't really a whole lot of work, but I was just basically interested to do something other than what I was doing. So tell us about the day when you finally quit your job at the bank and you started your first day at Budgie. Yeah, well, so I, I still kept my job at the bank for like seven or eight months because that's wise yeah well budgie had had no real yeah. sales at the so, time it was just a brand spanish it was a, it was and a history brand taught i think you like about risk i guess <laughs> say that again spanish and history taught you a lot about risk then 100 <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. and so i was like well there's no income for budgie and there was no income at the non-profit that was just like i was a volunteer so, yeah, the income side of the ledger was pretty low. So I, I, I kept my job for a while. And, yeah, it was like the early days of Budgie were – I was living with uh, Stephen O'Keefe, the, who went on to be a test cricketer, yep. still a cricketer now. And so 
And like back in those days, there was no like Shopify. Or I can't remember. I don't think it was like Gmail or anything like that. Like you had to have a server to have an email with like at budgiesmuggler.com.au, which I couldn't check remotely. So I'd have to do like come home from the office, work like during the evenings. And I'd struck up an arrangement with Sock that he would send the orders for me. There's some dispute about how much I paid him. I think it was up around the $2.50 per order. He reckons it was around about 75 cent mark, uh, which I'd then deduct from his rent bill. But at that stage, he was paying just mainly a lot of Call of Duty. So, yeah, it was probably a welcome distraction for him. Yeah, that's how I got going. But actually, so after quitting at the bank, I then went to work at AIM, the charity. So by this stage, um, that was more of an established kind of non-profit. And I actually worked there full time for the next seven years. So it was actually eight years before I quit my job to do budgie full time. So the Australian Indigenous mentoring experience kind of has worked alongside, in your career anyway, you've kind of managed two big brands there. You've, you've spent seven years at AIM alongside building Budgie Smuggler. What, what do you see? Do you see any similarities between those two or was one just a, one was a job and then one was a hobby? Yeah, no, I mean, they were both things I was super, like, kind of interested in. Mm -hmm. And then also one of the best things about working at something you hate mm -hmm. is you actually appreciate when you get to, like, turn up to work and, and do the something. The next job. <laughs> yeah, you care about. And, like, the early days at AIM, like, we were – so there's a bloke, Jack Manning Bancroft, who was the, the founder of AIM and was kind of the, the driving force mm -hmm. through my time there. But, like, yeah, we were, we were really – uh, like in the trenches sort of thing. Mm -hmm. We called it AIM Jail. We'd get there at 8 in the morning, stay till 8 at night. And I thought that I would have all this time for Budgie Smuggler, but actually for about a four or five-year period while we built AIM. So my role there was like the head of partnerships and, and finance. So it was an awesome job because I got to travel all around Australia. So you go into like regional areas, all the capital cities, and then you're meeting with, you know, people from the unis, government, university students, Aboriginal land councils, yeah. and then recruited within AIM, we had like a lot of the most talented Aboriginal students and young people from around Australia. So it was like just an awesome induction into our, uh, uh, out of the, the Northern Beaches kind of bubble. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell us about the premise of AIM. I mean, the, the, the general idea is you pair up uni students, predominantly white uni students, and you pair them with high school students yeah so the premise of aim was to support aboriginal kids through high school yeah uh you'd recruit volunteer mentors mm -hmm. at the universities initially it was one-on-one -on -one and then scale it it transitioned to more of a kind of mentor-led kind mm -hmm. of program but would support the kids through to year 12 and then on to other university tafe work and that we'd track the students all the way through and all the programs at each of the universities were run by young Indigenous, generally like uni students, people who just come out of university. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when we started, it was just like the one school in Redfern. And then, I don't know, by the time I left, I think it was about four or 5,000 students around 20 campuses around Australia, so. And the graduation rate for those students was? Was on, was... Par, on par with or ahead of non-Indigenous students. Yeah. And most of those students were coming from like lower socioeconomic areas. So as so the results stood for themselves, really. The results, yeah, really, and I think still are, are, are really good. So Yeah. Well, you were like, uh, because I've only been on Instagram, what now, shit, about five years. You were, 
a, a real early pioneer in the influencer model. I mean, we started to see uh, this brand starting to pop up in the media. You know, you've gone everywhere from the backside of Georgie Rose all the way up to Kirtley Bill right next to the future king of England. <laughs> I mean, how has the influencer model helped grow your business? Yeah, it's like there's a certain irony to it because it's not something that we've targeted necessarily. But I guess we're kind of a swimwear brand that's got big out of people not actually swimming mm-hmm. in them. Yeah. And so early on, that was such a good way to get like the message out there. Yeah. And people, you know, we just encourage people to do random shit yeah. in them, you know. So had pictures. Skiing. Of- Skiing's a big one. Some brave people out there skiing in budgie smugglers. Yeah, the winter sports model, the big people <laughs> riding camels in Egypt in yeah. them. And it just prompted something. I think maybe like the self-deprecating kind of humor of it lent itself to people just going out there and um, yeah, uh, getting. I I think it was. It's it's almost like you know the anti-brand to what swimsuits in particular for men were at the time. I mean, you saw like like say for example, Speedo had a chiseled Olympic swimmer in them, and I think that most men were intimidated by that you know it's like i can't wear a pair of speedos because i look like an investment banker with my clothes on <laughs> and i have a tiny penis yeah. there's anxieties surrounding the swimwear that, that that were put on the consumer uh, yeah. the australian male particularly by you know the 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 unrealistic body standards that were uh, applied by you know olympic brands I mean, for one, you've never sold goggles. You've never even had a sporting element to your... You've never... I don't think I've ever seen an athlete outside of the footy field wearing them. Yeah, I don't think we've really got much traction in with actual swimmers. No. (laughs) (laughs) At all. Like, what we saw the biggest challenge of at the start was not that our competition was other swimwear brands. Yeah. It was that no one was wearing, like, Mm -hmm. budgie smuggler-style stuff. So we had to change the perception mm-hmm. of what that was. And if we were going to go down the path of just completely oiled up, ripped dudes, mm-hmm. yeah, it wouldn't really speak to the, to the typical Australian male. Yeah. So we made the call. Also, like the first guys we got wearing them had to be people that like had good banter and could also tell people to fuck off. Yeah. yeah. You know, because <laughs> like you might be about to cop some shit. Yeah. And so I think we got, you know, the focus was on people that you want to have beers with. Yeah. 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 And, and those, just supreme confidence. Yeah. Just like, yeah, good level yeah. of confidence, but focus on what they're like more than what their rig's like. Yeah. And if they're, if they're fit, that's fine. Like, yeah. That's it's not also an- fine. It's not yeah. anti, but if yeah. they're not, then, then that's, that's, you know, you're welcome in this church. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so taking all of those things into account, I'd say the first time this really became like a fully national brand that was brought into the living rooms of millions of Australians was when nine blokes at the Malaysian Grand Prix were caught wearing uh, the Malaysian budgies, which I understand you no longer sell. (laughs) Um, And they were promptly arrested for public obscenity charges. Something along those lines. Yeah, I was on um, on my way back from a Bucks in, in Bali and had all these messages on my phone like, mate, some stuff's gone down. So I got like the Jetstar red eye or whatever over and I didn't realise the scale of it at the time but I turned up to, we were working from like two bedrooms of an apartment in Manly at the time 
and Jared and a couple of the guys were there, and there was a bit, a few people milling around the front of the building. Yeah. And we were like, it'd be funny if that was the press. Yeah. And then one of them somehow got in the building, and there was this like a current affair style uh, <laughs> situation where they're knocking on the door, like, will you, yeah. will you please comment? Um, but yeah, basically, nine blokes had gone to. So it was the press for you guys. It was the press for the budget. <laughs> they were chasing a budgie nine. Yeah, story. yeah. yeah right. So because they were, they actually said that that we had conspired with you. Yeah. To yeah, put, well, we we reported yeah. on it. I, I like to think we coined the term budgie nine as well. <laughs> Of course, uh, once we'd figure out those gentlemen weren't facing execution, we coined the term budget <laughs> yeah. nine. Yeah, um, well, like, well, I, I think that we could have lived here if they just got the cane a few times. Yeah. That, 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 that would be it. But, yeah, we had... It's a rite of passage. That, that was one of the great fake news stories that was never told, that we had conspired with so, Budgie Smuggler to create an international incident in so Malaysia. This, um, <laughs> like, I never... I, <laughs> and, like, what happened was, so... Like, Daniel Ricardo has won on the last lap. Like, yeah. these guys are just having a normal, like, afternoon, mm. and then they've lost their shit, celebrating, you know, crowds going wild. This is a very rare event to happen. Uh, then they've stripped out into their smugglers and started doing, like, chewies. Mm. And Ricardo style. If, if you look at the, yeah, Daniel Ricardo style, if you look at the footage at the time, everyone's just sort of laughing and enjoying it. But there was one bloke there who wasn't, and it was his job to uphold like the spirit of Malaysia. And then so he got talking to them, and then he seemed to think that this was a genuine like conspiracy that these guys had planned to do it mm-hmm. to like make fun of Malaysia, which was just like if Danny Ricardo never wins that race, it it, it never yeah, happened. Never so happened. they're in jail, and then so I'm getting like these people from the press calling, and then so we just. Just saying no comment because like we didn't we didn't have anything directly to do with it. I'm like, said to one, you know, do you call Nike every time someone robs a store in Nike gear? Like <laughs> yeah. we even like, and yeah. then someone I think they were from the Herald Sun. Is that a Melbourne paper? Yeah, it's yeah, Melbourne yeah. paper. Yeah, is saying I'm going to print that you and the Batuta Advocate have conspired to do this and you've paid them to do this. <laughs> um, unless you deny it, and I said, mate, I can print what you want. And then I was like, fuck. I hope they, have, I hope they have it. So I think I called you. Like, you guys didn't pay them. No, no. Well, that's uh, you know they asked us the same question and we said yes, and then <laughs> and they were like, I don't believe you. Yeah, there was a young that sent, like, sent a young well, journalist. Well, she was a young young. She, that's back on was, you, buddy. She was pretty green. You could tell, and she called us and was like, thought she was onto something, and I. Was yeah, I was going along with it. Like, this would be very funny if it did make the news um, uh, for your newspaper uh, and for ours. But then I kind of got the guilt a little bit that I could tell that she was so green, and this would, could potentially ruin her career. I was just like, look, I'm not denying this to protect me. I'm denying it to protect you, love. Like, this is uh, this could be fucking a very big black smudge next what, to your name. One in of media. the funniest things that happened to it was the phone started ringing hot from Malaysia. Yeah. People wanting the pairs. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, we would have had like 40 or 50 phone calls in a couple of days just saying, and we'd obviously taken them down from online wanting to prevent, you know, like a future, yeah. a, re- a repeat of it. Mm. Yeah. Um, what but- was the um, what was the issue though? They they don't like seeing their flag used as underpants. Was that what they were well, thinking? The pair itself was actually just the same as like their water yeah. polo team yeah. wears. But I think it was 
mainly that combined with drinking Drunk, beer from Australia yeah. in a Muslim country <laughs> can be sometimes yeah. um, frowned upon. But they were like you're in a Formula One race, mm. so in that environment, it's not like they were doing it on the outside. It, like yeah. Formula One is like Formula Oneing is a verb yeah, yeah. for you know spraying alcohol. Yeah. So <laughs> in that environment, I think it was it was fine. Yeah. But in the broader context of of where they were, mm. yeah, and they got some reasonable. I think I did three or four nights in jail. Yeah. They got one one meal a day, which was a fish head with rice and a cup of water. So like. It, it was uh, quite bad. <laughs> <laughs> they learned, though. They learned. It was, yeah, I don't know. If, I think it was for free as well. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it was just an extended holiday. <laughs> yeah. And they deported them for free, too. <laughs> now, um, tell us a bit about you did, you did eventually win over a few sportsmen. Georgie Rose, the gorgeous George from the Manly Seagulls, a rather huskier gent, probably one of the last true big men of rugby league yeah like what the last samurai was to japan yeah. george george rose was to burley rotund built front rowers like if he was yeah. a fridge he would be the most beautiful westinghouse like he's, crisp off the shelf he's a bar fridge on legs george is <laughs> he's a beautiful man he's a beautiful man so what happened there because they actually had a, a supplier so we noticed for a few years like orders coming through from quite a number of particularly rugby league, rugby union, a little bit AFL players. I think part of the reason for that was we went with a slightly different fabric, which is more comfortable to wear when you're playing sport than mm -hmm. really chlorine-resistant stuff. And so that was sort of coming through, but not at like a crazy rate. And then um, the phone rings one day and it's George Rose. And we had sort of like friends of friends and he, he said, mate, this company's sponsored the club. And they've come down and done a photo shoot and they've given pairs to all the good looking players <laughs> and like the fit players in the team. And he's like, here's, you know, poor gorgeous George in, George in the corner with the fat boys. Yeah. And despite being the big, biggest lads, we appeared yeah. invisible. Yeah. They've, they've, they've all given them the snake Stewart <laughs> and all these pretty boys from, from the manly side have been uh, hooked up with, uh, with the handsome... Uh, that the that, handsome brand. That's it. Wolf, Wolfman, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so he's like, but I'll get us some pairs and buy, and I'll, I'll see if I can get them around. The, I'll get the boys around, basically. So I drove to George's place in Brookvale. He was living like 200 metres from, um, from Brookvale Oval and went there with like 20 pairs. And at this stage, like every dollar I spent, I was sort of borrowing or spending for my income at, aim to to pay for it so like 20 pairs was like the biggest yeah. investment in budgie smugglers history to this point in time mm. i've gone to his place and he had a spot on the couch we could tell he's playing video games like it was nestled nestled in nicely and um got george the pairs and then by the end of the season he had almost all of the team really? wearing them each week but at the same time the nrl or like jerseys had changed to this like very fitted yeah. Um, number which did not did not suit or like wasn't as practical for George so every time he would get tackled his <laughs> pants would get pulled down and you would see what pair <laughs> he was wearing and then the commentators cottoned onto it yeah. and they would then start commentating like what pair will George be wearing this week yeah, yeah. oh he's in the cougar baits tonight yeah. <laughs> oh George he's in the fully fluorinated it's going to be a red hot game and after the game what are you wearing this week so he was a big 
big connector and probably like the perfect person that that budgie smugglers about you know mm. like he's sporting and athletic but not image obsessed mm-hmm. um you know he's a person that you want to you want to have a beer with and a laugh and after that, I don't know if he gave my phone number out or something, but a lot of NRL players started calling. Hey, brother, like, let's get it. Uh, and other codes as well. So that was um, that was the start of it. Yeah, getting kind of more embedded in the different different footballing codes. Tell us about the when was your first real rush? When was your first? What summer was it where you're like, oh, we might need to upscale a few more hands in the. Yeah, I mean the the first milestone was when we sold. 24 pairs in a day. Yeah, right. And I was like... Down a wharf bar. Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I was like, whoa, we've done one pair an hour for a whole for a whole day. And like, we're not quite there yet, but oh, maybe we are. Like, yeah, now it's like a pair a minute is the yeah. kind of goal. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the the scale, you know, in the Christmas time, yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah. Not, for the, <laughs> not for the whole year. Then we yeah. fucking all go into wharf bar, lads. <laughs> <laughs> fucking buy wharf bar. <laughs> And a yacht. <laughs> um, but uh, no, for the, uh, for the first time, it was hitting 24 uh, orders a day. I was just like, fuck, because I remember when 24 orders was like three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And you're there. I remember multiple days at the start, like it wouldn't matter how much I was paying stock per order, there was no orders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I only have like three days in a row with no orders. Yeah. And be like, fuck, what have I done? And you're, <laughs> you're back you're back in town do it running aim, you come home. Yeah. Log yeah, open yeah. the server and yeah, it's like nothing's that, happened today, boys. It's like that episode from The Simpsons when Bart's running for class president. It's yeah. like how many people voted for him? It's yeah. like none. I demand a recount. <laughs> so, what made you keep going in those days where you know there, where there wasn't any orders coming in? You know, there were no days at Wharf Bar. It just yeah. Well, I think I mean one Wharf Bar is a gold standard of a good day. <laughs> yeah, that's when you've made it in Manly. Um, like one thing was I had a job, mm. so I didn't need to rely on the income from Budgie Smuggler, mm-hmm. and that provides you with enormous freedom. Yeah. So. You know, all the advice I got given early about how to make money for Budgie Smuggler would have worked in the short term, but in the long run, I think maybe not so much. So people said, no one's buying Budgie Smugglers, so make something else. Make like Euros were big at the time, like Daniel Craig and Bond Mm. and that sort of thing. Make it in China. And I was just like, nah, like not interested. And because I had a job... You um, could make those calls, yeah. I didn't have to... I could just kind of follow what I was interested in, mm-hmm. which is which is what we did. And it also was growing. So if you look at those early years, it was like a thousand pairs, fifteen hundred, twenty-two hundred, three thousand. And so we were always growing. For the first ten years we did fifty percent, between forty and seventy percent a year every year. And if you average fifty percent a year for five years, yeah. You're 10 times as big at the end of it. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, if we can just kind of keep on that, I've got time on my side. I was like, I'm in this for the long haul, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I got like a 10, 20 year horizon here. So yeah, we're kind of 10, well, I'm 10, 11 years in, yeah. in now. And it's, you know, everything at scale becomes much easier. You had people on the payroll before you're paying yourself. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we had three full time yeah. before I was able to make the leap. Yeah. 
yeah, actually, I made the leap and moved overseas because yeah. it was like these guys were running the company yeah. so well. It would just kind of been weird if I started yeah. turning up each day, demanding yeah. the good car park and, yeah. and that sort of thing. <laughs> so I was like, fuck, I'm not actually that useful here mm-hmm. because I was always away doing AIM. What's the next frontier for budget? So the next frontier, it seemed, um, to launch it, in the United Kingdom, obviously a beach mecca, <laughs> but it is Blackpool. <laughs> it is the gateway for uh, for many Australians to Europe. Yeah, so it was pretty funny. Even the um, bloke at customs thought I was I was joking when I was like first moved there, and he's like, "What's you know? What are you going to do when you're here?" I'm like, "Oh, I've got a swimwear business, budgie smuggler," and he's like. No, seriously. <laughs> like getting other immigration people in. Like, <laughs> listen to this bloke. <laughs> they're like, you serious? I'm like, I'm, I'm serious. And it was a bit like when I first started at Budgie here, like calling my friends being like, you know, all excited. And they're like, you've, you know, I'm like, I've taken over Budgie Spank. They're like, you've what? They're like, why? And I'm like, mate, remember we ran the city to surf in it. It was so much fun. And they're like, yeah, that was like ironic. Like no one's actually going to buy that. And so going to the UK was a little bit of deja vu. Yeah. And going through the, you know, like, do you know that it's not sunny here for like 10 months yeah. of mm. the year? Do you sell well with the Euros? Because when you kind of think about the budgie smuggler kind of look, that it's, you're always thinking just hairy Greek man, right? <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, oiled up, yes, but not necessarily, you know, uh, abs of steel. <laughs> Did you, you do well in that world? And have you made moves on the yacht weeks and that kind of that kind of sun Europe? I mean, it's just next door. And I mean, for a little while, UK you can you can you can fly quite easily from the UK to Europe. That's it. So France is actually the third biggest market for us. So it goes Australia, UK, France, yeah. and it's it's actually illegal. I've got a. Shout-outs to Macron because mm. it's actually illegal to wear pants in like shorts in pools in France. So they're, they're legislating <laughs> in our favour. And, you know, if there's any political staffers listening to this, then I'd, you know, encourage. Do you have any idea why that's the case? I think they say it's – I think part yeah. of it's like just fuck you. Like yeah. this is what we – Yeah, yeah. This is what yeah. we wear. We don't want this kind of Americanized Because kind of wearing shorts – is a little bit ridiculous. Like, where yeah. do you stop the line if you're yeah. going swimming, like, fucking yeah. in jeans? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it doesn't make that much sense. I'm not sure when it's, like, started in the yeah. 70s or 80s yeah. or something. But, yeah, I think the reason they give is around, the official reason is around uh, hygiene mm. and that if you're sitting in your shorts or you get shit in your pockets, that it can potentially contaminate the pool. Yeah, right. But I think partly it's just this is what we do. And yeah, we yeah, don't yeah, like yeah. It. Cultural, cultural. They're a bit ahead of the palms because um, I read an article last year, Adam, that said that the UK's most loathed item of clothing was tight swimming trunks. We were more unpopular than turtlenecks and Crocs. Really? Which I think's kind of a. I, I like Crocs, though, actually. Yeah. And turtlenecks actually have a place, too, <laughs> with a chain on the outside. I was at a, I was at a rugby club in, in Exeter in the UK a couple of weeks back and told the guys that, and they're like, our fancy dress for the end of season two is sort of the three most popular run items oh. <laughs> of clothing in the UK combined. Yeah, so I think we were, I think 78% of people uh, said that they hated 
Speedo or Budgie. The title was, the headline on the BBC was Bad Day for Budgie Smugglers. Mm. But I'm like, hey, if you're not first, you're last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That's, we've still got 22% that are in the game here. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, you'd hate to be, you know, like there's another one on, on, on this list. You'd hate to be a manufacturer of Uggs, red trousers, clothes with elbow patches. That's bad for the rugby union boys. Uh, <laughs> Flares, Crocs, leather trousers, but not- red trousers is particularly specific. <laughs> yeah, n- n- not too many people c- can pull them off. Like red trousers. The the Aboriginal flag has been an interesting one for you because players in like uh, footballers particularly, um, you've seen it more recently. Have been you know, Curtly uh, Beale or. Jonathan Thurston with the Aboriginal mouth guard. You kind of gave him the first kind of opportunity to wear a bit of red, black, and yellow with the with the budgies. Yeah, so like we used to make like quite a few different flags, and then I think maybe Curtly and some of the Aboriginal boys were like, "Can you do an Aboriginal flag?" I was like a hundred, you know, hundred percent. And you know, I've been very lucky that Aboriginal people have been such a good, like probably the dominant influence in my adult life. Like I, I, I'm very lucky. So yeah, there's a. We were stoked to stoked to do that, and I think like a lot of brands or companies are very like a bit scared of it, mm-hmm. maybe. Whereas it's you know they kind of view it the same as uh, using Aboriginal art in their in their clothing. Is it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think just like aren't happy to embrace it, maybe. Yeah. Whereas you know early on we ran like a swimwear parade called Strut the Streets for four or five years, and that raised like quarter million for. Aboriginal education Mm -hmm. and it was yeah it was kind of around that time that people were like hey we want to show pride in our culture through through a pair that's you know um, got the flag on it so Mm -hmm. that's how that happened so more recently we've been seeing you in the media for a different cause you know as opposed to doing things overseas to to bring down governments but um and that's uh and that's more or less uh around um uh the ordinary rig can you tell us a bit about what the ordinary rig is yeah so ordinary rig started for quite a few years we were keen to take the piss out of the victoria's secret parade i was like this is just getting too much and starting to, to piss me off like this kind of impossibly perfect um, vision of what it means to like be kind of a track I'm like this fucking thing has a shelf life mm-hmm. this is this is this has definitely got a shelf life so our original idea was to do some like some sort of smuggler parade to smuggle a secret or something to to match that and then the tipping point, though, was we had these kids come into the office in Manly from out in Western Sydney, like rugby league kids, about to go on schoolies, rat's tails ready. And they made a comment around, oh, we've been getting our rigs in order to go on schoolies. Like, we're going to be so ripped. And we just looked around. We looked around in the office and we were like, oh, fuck, like 16-year-old, 17-year-old boys are so image conscious, like they're shredding for schoolies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm just like fuck. Like we've lost. The, like yeah. the it's changed in the 10, 15 years since since I was going there, where that wasn't really front of mind. No. So I'm like, all right, we it need was just to just how many UDLs have you got? <laughs> red bears, yeah. fucking red bears, man. <laughs> oh fuck. And and so it's like, all right, we need to do something to counter the narrative about 
you know, what's the, the kind of ideal. And so we're like, all right, let's have a contest where we celebrate the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And I also think like everyone is a bit ordinary in mm-hmm. like mult- at most things, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? So it's an easy concept to identify with. I have little idea why so many companies are always trying to be amazing. Mm. Like just be a, a bit shit mm. <laughs> and get around it. So Unless you're an airline. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Shout out yeah, Jetstar. Our safety rating is okay. <laughs> <laughs> our safety rating is a bit shit. <laughs> and <laughs> we, had a, we had a tire changed on our plane while we were waiting the other day. Oh fuck, it was scary. And then the guy goes, it was Jetstar. Shout out Jetstar. Thanks to the scabs that were still working that could get us on, <laughs> get us in the air. And this guy goes, the pilots, just too much information on the way to Melbourne for the book launch. He goes, sorry about that, guys. Obviously, you know there's strikes uh, around the country today. These, uh, these delays haven't been uh, related to the strikes. They've been, well, they have been technically because the ground staff are under the pump working uh, extra hard covering shifts. Um, but luckily, they were able to notice that one of the tyres needed changing because it was down to the canvas. So let's go. And then it's like, what? Too much information, big fella. It's like, it's like just tell me. That Melbourne hasn't got enough room for us yet, and we got to wait on the tarmac for a spot to open up. Don't tell me that this plane is not airworthy, <laughs> because what if you've missed something more important than a fucking tire? Like a wing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you, you you kind of went a bit more, not so much the dove angle, which dove is like you know beautiful, beautiful, all shapes and sizes are beautiful, but you went the. No, no, ordinary is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, like a or men pigeon. are ordinary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it you're wasn't, not a dove, you're a seagull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't, but it wasn't a sloppy rig hmm. contest either. Like some people were like, oh my God, well, you're encouraging male obesity. Like, no, we had strict uh, conditions. You had to look like you could run for a taxi and swing an axe. Yeah. And that you were, what else was it? Throw you could throw a child in a pool, which yep. is, you know, very important yep. pastime. And that was about it. There was yeah. one guy, we were privy to the selection process because we were, as we said earlier, MCs for the uh, inaugural. inaugural. So 2016. Yeah, inaugural yes. Ordinary Rigs. We were the hosts, Clancy and Errol. Sam Perry's and great cricketer came in. and Yeah, yep. George Rose oh, is a yeah. judge as well. Yeah. I, yeah. George Rose, um, who probably, given the criteria you've just mentioned, probably wouldn't have been able to fit in. Um <laughs> But there were some ordinary rigs in the selection process. And I actually yeah. remember one of you saying there was one guy that you couldn't look at sent through yeah. his photo. Who there was were, like, yeah. that's, that's there were just lots too much, mate. Very, very big nipples. Yeah. You know? No, but like blokes who had like a done a proper yeah. injury playing sport. Like the bottom of a can. Or have like a, yeah, just a... Ex-sportsmen's bodies are the most ordinary, right? The guys have come from great heights. Yep. And yeah, and like just the other day in the airport, I <laughs> ran into Matthew Hayden and he looks like shit. He's been eating too much of his own chicken casserole. Yeah, no. Good through the covers, though. Yeah, it? yeah. Good <laughs> through the covers, but he's been eating dooners. You know, so. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, we decided that we'd, we'd celebrate the ordinary. So this competition, we flew the top 10 with their friends from around Australia in. Mm-hmm. And they had to do like a talent and um, answer some judges' questions, kind of like a Miss World 
pageant meets Victoria's Secret. And there was, of course, a, a runway parade with uh, their own home-devised mm. wings. I think Dingo, who won it, had giant chicken chicken wings. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was... There was VB, a lot of... A lot of uh, one guy made wings out of crushed VB cans. There was a lot. Of, you yeah. can tell there was a lot of arts and crafts. A lot of blokes, grown men, had asked their mums to help. Well, you could yes. see. Oh, there was the uh, the white feathers, <laughs> and the guy's mum was an art teacher. Like. He said he slashed a pillow. He went to he went to Forty Wings, came home to mum and just tore a knife through these pillows, and she helped him glue the feathers to his wings. I think there's actually, like, blokes actually do want to express, like, some level of creativity. I, 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 well, you had the dance as well. Had the dance and the talent show. Yeah. Was a lot of worms. That's the go-to, I think, for a lot of guys. Yeah, you see it at every wedding you go to. Someone can do the worm. Every one of those blokes could do the worm. You know, back in the day, there was Big Brother for the funniest bloke in your group of mates. And nowadays, there's not really many avenues for them to just be hilarious on a grand stage. And that was it, uh, because th- these were, each contestant on Ordinary Rig was the funniest bloke from their group of mates. And when we went into your office the day before the first the first <laughs> Ordinary Rig comp, I remember seeing from a distance, before we'd said hi to anyone, 12 of the exact same blokes on the balcony <laughs> and someone cracked a joke and all of them went <laughs> all at the same time. They're the exact yeah. same person, same sense of humour. <laughs> they played the same role in their group of mates and they finally got to be with their own people. I think that's one criterion that I think isn't really pushed to the forefront when you're choosing you know, the most ordinary riggers that they need to be able to hold court. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And we've done the same comp in the UK now. Um, And then we flew the top three from the UK to Australia. Made them be friends. Yeah, yeah. They put him in the same house. And like we treated them like celebrities. So like almost our entire marketing budget for the year was spent on an ordinary rig campaign. And that's why it's good not having any investment because we could just do shit that we think is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And potentially at some point down the road that pays off. But just following you know things mainly for the you know the own interest of you know the 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 staff but yeah no the english lads gave it a a good crack and actually brought home the urn so where to from here for budgie smuggler have you have you even dipped your toe in america florida Florida. cancun it's funny you mentioned arizona so i was in the states a little a little while ago and they don't they don't necessarily understand the Mm self-deprecating humor so you explain what budget yeah. smuggler means and you're like, it's like you're hiding like a small mm-hmm. bird mm-hmm. and they just is a sort of blank look and they're like, why would you choose a, a small bird? Yeah, like why wouldn't you call them like like a Pelican. parrot smuggler or Pelican something smugglers. like... A fucking eagle smuggler. You should yeah. you should call it an eagle smuggler and it's like, oh, no, that's not, not, not the point. <laughs> yeah, uh, they, it's like I, I know that you're soft flaccid penis is the size of a budgie just from looking at you, you know. <laughs> Embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as a result, we haven't, we haven't quite had the traction there, whereas South Africa, for instance, yeah. they get it. And yeah, yeah. I, thought, I thought they wouldn't necessarily be around it as hard as they are, but they're like, bro, give me the, the most outrageous pair you have, my man, and I will, I will rip this. So South Africa has been a wonderful bright spot for us. France gets it. Uh, the UK definitely, definitely gets it. 
we did a pop up in Germany recently, and 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 they say like, when you hear it translated, they're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, like even even Japan, like yeah. I think I don't know if this is right, but they can't pronounce the letter or they don't have the letter L yeah. in the in yeah. their vernacular or their alphabet. So it was Adam Ashley Cooper was telling me the story of explaining it to the guys and they're like the bloke who's Japanese bloke like budgie smuggler and the fucking there was just silence like and then boom like the whole team's just fucking <laughs> lost their shit and got it. So yeah there's a few more places around the world than than not get it, but the the US isn't quite <laughs> taking taking off yeah well say for example if if you were going to sell them in continental europe you know for your next big expansion would you stick with the english spelling or would you try to translate it into you know the local dialect where it's like how do you translate budgie smuggler into italian you have know? you got the um have you got an answer for us on on this one I have I have heard it in a Yeah, I was hoping you'd actually, be able the, to So in two thousand eight we made some pairs for the Beijing Olympics. And uh, one of our main sewers, so we our first sewer, we've used him since day one, a bloke Arnold. This is he's was sixty three when he started. Sorry, sixty eight when he started with us. He's eighty three now. Right. He's still going running our, our main swimwear factory and we asked him when he's going to retire and he said if he stops doing it he's gonna he's gonna lose it upstairs so he's still going but uh one of his main sewers there lee's chinese and so we made we made pairs for the beijing olympics and we trans translated budgie smuggler into chinese she gets gets us the pairs and she's like oh adam this doesn't say Budgie smugglers, like, what does it say? <laughs> so I should say I got my red-headed, six-foot-three red-headed mate who said he spoke fluent Chinese to translate it because <laughs> it doesn't say budgie smuggler. I say, what does it say? And she goes, it says small birdcage. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's actually pretty fucking good. <laughs> let's, right, well, run, let's run with it. I've Googled a couple. So I've, I've got English, Italian, and German. So this is the uh, – this is – the French translation of budgie smuggler is contrabande or pechos. Contrabande, yep. Be uh, Spanish. Smuggler, contraband. <laughs> and uh, this is the Italian translator, contrabande amico. That's like romantic. Yeah. I'd that, Immediately. <laughs> That's <Stop>. a big... Uh, <laughs> but, say, but say that again after the German... Translation. Kumpel Schmuggler. <laughs> I feel like I've been locked in a basement. Schmuggler. <laughs> Kumpel Schmuggler. <laughs> well, all the best, uh, Adam and, and the Budgie team, heading into what looks like, statistically, uh, through a complete anomaly, the hottest summer we've ever had uh, coming up. Yep, complete uh, outlier. Complete outlier. <laughs> yep. I, I wish you all the best and uh, what a yarn. And we might get you on back next time. We'll, we'll talk about AIM from top to bottom. Bring you on here with Bancroft, maybe. Love to. Thanks for it. And great to see Batuta powering the only non-fake news in our nation. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Lenny. For that kind comment. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>